Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the show. Overreaction Monday, Yahoo Sports College podcast and we are going to overreact with everyone else who's been overreacting to the college football playoff results uh we're also going to bash dan wetzel in absentia because he's not with us he's actually off gallivanting uh around doing holiday vacation stuff with his family which is a terrible excuse I mean, uh, if there's any reason Wetzel should be on the podcast, there were major bush lice developments in the last week. <laughs> major amongst our core listeners of the hardcore bush light drinkers from Iowa taking over a bull city. And where's Wetzel? Like uh, putting tinsel on a tree somewhere? Yeah. Like, come on. I mean, I, it's it's like it's like it's like criminal. Like, I, I, I don't even know what his punishment should be. Uh, I think we should make him run suicides down the street in San Jose. I mean, it's it is a criminal absence by Dan here. I agree. Uh, it is inexcusable. Uh, there will be heavy kangaroo court podcast fines <laughs> associated with it. And yes, I, I think we should have him run suicides down the street in San Jose, where it should be noted we will be doing our live podcast on Friday night from Uproar Brewing Company in San Jose, 8 o'clock local. And uh, we would love to have you join us, any of you listeners who are... Uh, so disposed it's going to be ridiculous i'm sure it'll be full of stupidity uh but it should be a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to it and uh it'll be all three of us there wetzel 40 thamel if you want to get in on it you can reserve a spot at yahoosports.com backslash college podcast that's yahoosports.com backslash College podcast. We'll probably uh, beat you guys over the head with that during the week uh, via social media. So uh, we would love to see you there. You can, you know, mock our picks all year and everything else that uh, we've had to say that's turned out to be dead wrong. Uh, <laughs> and all we're going to ask of our listeners is to drink until we're funny. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like just drink till we're funny. That's yeah. all. That's all. The good people. That's not at a hard assignment. Nope. <laughs> nope. Know? Nope. We don't ask a lot of our listeners. You know. <laughs> Put up with some of our uh, some of our quirks and such, but uh, yes, drink till we're funny in San Jose at the Uproar Brewery, and the fine people at Uproar will provide you plenty of options. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. So it's going to be a good time, and uh, uh, we will. Yeah, we, we we will we will have a lot of fun there. So please join us. And uh, we actually, hey, I got to say, 
amongst all of our bad picks, I think both of us had pretty good idea what was going to happen in the college football playoff semifinals, Pete. And here's what I, I don't really understand the complaining and crabbing from everyone, other than the fact that that's what college football people do is just complain and crab. But who didn't see this coming? Who didn't see Clemson trampling Notre Dame and Alabama trampling Oklahoma? Are you surprised in the slightest, Pete Thamel, by what, what occurred Saturday night? Well, I will say in defense of our ineptitude, we did pick both games wrong by point spread. So for those listeners who do pay attention to those things, um, I, I, yeah, but sorry about that. That's why we, you buy Amazon stock, especially now because it's low. Don't bet on games. It's really <laughs> foolish. Um, the, uh, the I was surprised at the absolute tenor of domination of Clemson Notre Dame. Am I surprised Clemson won? No. I thought Clemson was going to win. I thought Notre Dame could maybe exploit some things with Dexter Lawrence out and maybe they could protect Ian Book a little better, but I was not like I yeah, that was I, I thought it would be a little bit of a closer game, you know, going to the second half, but that was a complete flatline snoozer. Uh you were there, Pat. How did that unfold yeah. in Grizzly uh first person? Yeah, I mean, the highlight of the game from Notre Dame fans was when the eagle that circled the stadium during the national anthem got loose and didn't return to its handler and instead alighted on two different Notre Dame fans. That was uh, that was as good as it got for the Irish. The one dude was like, holy moly, there's a giant bird of prey on my shoulder, and he was freaked <laughs> out, as I would have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other dude was the other dude was tough now. He just stuck his arm out and said, come on, bird. <laughs> and the thing lands on him. It's a good and then American. The trainers, yeah, the the birds handlers came up and uh, apprehended the rogue eagle. Yeah. After that, so that I feel from, like that's what Tim Salem, our tight end coach at Pitt, would have done. He would have brought the eagle right in. He would have put absolutely. down his flat Mountain Dew, and he would have brought the eagle right in. He definitely would have. Yeah, <laughs> this was a job for Tim Salem if there ever was one. So, but no, it was. I mean, it was a bust, and it was. You know, it was a great crowd, great atmosphere. Probably more than fifty percent Notre Dame, which mm. impressed me. You know, but hey, yeah. they haven't been to a game like this in a long time, so there was a lot of pent up uh, energy and enthusiasm, and then it dissipated pretty quickly because it became clear that offensively they were overmatched. I agree with you, Pete. I thought the Dexter Lawrence absence and the fact that Dexter Williams, their running back, is really good between the guards, really north south. I thought that gave him a chance. Didn't happen. They didn't have a run longer than 11 yards all game. They couldn't protect Book. Uh, Book was off target a number of times when he did get time to throw. You know, receivers couldn't get separation. There was just a big talent gap in that game. So I'm going to be fully honest here. I did not watch a snap of that game. Now, as I told you, I had thought about going to the beach that day, which it wouldn't yeah. have even done. But by the time I got to the stadium, that whole Houston story was breaking. So I decided to write a column. So I was like, I'm going to write the column during the first half, and then I'll watch the second half. Well, then I walked out from the back room where I was writing the column, and uh, the first half was over. And there was no reason to watch the second half, quite frankly. No, there wasn't. So was I went to the field and glad-handed and chatted and tried to uh, – put together some uh, some different coaching mysteries. So I, when I say I did not see a snap, like that's not honestly like an exaggeration. Like I saw some highlights, but I did I did not see much. But the good thing is it played out as epically predictable as uh, as it as it as it as it could have been. Did did Notre Dame's offense, Pat, let me ask you this. This is my one curiosity. Did they ever find any rhythm? Like was quick game available or did was it no. just smothered? No, that's Clemson said. Dabo said we were they were take, trying their best to take away quick game. They, you know they they thought Book was at his best when he's getting the ball out of his hand fast and they're you know kind of operating on the, on the sides and stuff like that. And 
they they did take that away. Um, that was you know that was good game game planning, good scouting. Uh, Brent Venables is getting two million, two and a half million a year for a reason as a coordinator there, and uh, they they did a great job. Their their secondary, which some people were were down on after they gave up like five hundred yards to South Carolina, was just was really good. Notre Dame's again Notre Dame's receivers couldn't get open for the most part, so uh, you know it was. It was a it was a dominant performance, and the the big the the big talent gap was on the other side of the ball with all these young playmakers for Clemson. My goodness, not just oh. Trevor Lawrence, who's brilliant. Uh, the the arm talent on him, wow! It's just fun to watch him throw. But then these six four receivers, T Higgins and Justin Ross, and they just you know Notre Dame's guys couldn't couldn't stay with them. They couldn't, you know, they were catching balls over them. Uh, that was that, that was the big mismatch, especially when Julian Love, the all American corner for Notre Dame went out, uh, for most of the first half with a, they were afraid he had a concussion, but then he passed for protocol and came back. But they just, I mean, all these guys are freshmen and sophomores who did anything other than Henry Renfro's 53 years old. It was a remarkable performance by these young players. Yeah. So, all right, we had that. And then obviously the other game, was it was twenty eight nothing by the time I got done with interviews and got sat down and I was like great okay. yeah so let let me ask this then because like breaking down these games is almost a l- like foolish and nobody nobody wants to hear like how bad of a butt whooping it was right so let me ask you this I I, I mentioned this in my follow column uh, that ran on Yahoo on Sunday and you saw Lawrence you'd obviously see, had you seen him in person yet Pat I'm trying to remember our schedule no, for the year no okay. I had not I'd seen him twice in person cuz I caught him at BC and I got him earlier in the year in some relief duty at A&M uh when he came in on the first play and threw a touchdown right. I was like blown away by Trevor Lawrence I just was, yeah. wow right and this was the first time I saw two alive and I left that night thinking okay this is the number 1 pick in the 2020 draft Tua and Lawrence is going to be the number one pick in the 2021 draft. Like I, yes. If you could bet on that, and look, there's a billion variables, injuries. There's guys we don't know about that are going to. I mean, remember one year, like the tackle from Central Michigan was the number one pick in the draft. Fisher, like Eric Fisher, whatever his name was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like there's a million things that could happen. The draft is like the least predictable, funky thing in the world. Uh, people could like Justin Herbert better than Tua, but I would. I'm pretty confident they're going to go one two. And after seeing Tua live, I'm pretty confident he's going to be number one. Even with the Isn't left hand, I, I just love watching him throw. Too. Oh, it's beautiful! You know? It's it's art, yeah. uh, poetry, yeah. all that stuff. Yes, yeah. The the touch he puts on passes is remarkable, and that's there were, you know, Lawrence has got a gun. Tua doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have a gun, but boy, does he put the ball on the money. Yeah, there were three or four windows. When, so you're we're way up in the back, so it's an interesting view of the press box there at uh, at Hard Rock, where you and I both watched the evisceration of Notre Dame the last time they were on a stage yeah. this big. There were some there were some flashbacks. Let me tell you, uh, when that thing started out twenty eight nothing, but um, yeah. it was it was funny because it's twenty nothing. I'm like God, I didn't even like watch football today, other than watching Florida annihilate Michigan. Uh, just it was like a weird it was just a weird day all around. But there were three or four windows where like he's throwing the ball and you're like, well there's no way that's gonna be complete. And then it was completed. <laughs> Lincoln Riley said the one ball he thought that they had a chance to pick off of Tua ended up being completed. Might have been his best throw of the night. They overruled it. I don't know if you remember it's down the left sideline. 
I think it was to Judy, but it yeah, might yeah, have been yeah. to... Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, it was yeah. Judy. Uh-huh. It, that was the yep. one replay that didn't go Alabama's way. But yep. whole, And it was a great catch, too. But holy God, there was no room there. No. And the ball right. just, like, drops. There's something instinctual there. Like, the way he can yeah. see things down. And, like, he missed one or two deep balls. But, my gosh, he was just... Yeah. He, he can he can slip it into these, like, tiny, tiny, tiny windows. Just sure. it, what, a, what a blast to watch him play. Like, I'm already, like, you know, I'm already sad we only have one more year of two. I know. I know. No, he's, he's, he's a treat. He really is. As you said, instinctive. He's got a feel for when guys are going to be open where, and he's got a feel for the pocket, too. He just knows where to move when. And I mean, he's got some both these guys, tremendous gifts, and it'll be a lot of fun to see them play each other. Uh, all right, but here's my question, Pete. Is, is, is the playoff working? All right. We've had we've had 10 semifinal games. Eight of them have been decided by double digits. Only two of them have really been considered dramatic games at all. Uh, some people, you know, we had, we had a, a, a flurry of, I'm not sure whether it was wishful thinking or hopeful excitement about people talking about the, well, we're going to expand to eight. And then people watched those games said, no, four is too many. We need to go to two. Four what is too do many you think is the about- dumbest argument I've ever heard in, in college Good. sports. Because four is too many. It's just, yeah, let's go back to the BCS. Let's bring in some computers and some guy in a basement in like Tahlequah, Oklahoma, crunching numbers. We'll use this formula. Like the old system was so backwards and so ridiculous. Like, okay, we've had some bad games. I don't know. I feel like the college football media is just sort of like a crabby subset. And I guess we, we're <laughs> part of that, by the way. I'm not going to... <laughs> We can crab with the best of them, yes, brother. But. Yes, exactly. Um, but I really just, I really just feel like, I don't know these things. These things, I don't want to say they're cyclical, but like, I can't imagine the next ten are played in eight or bad games again. And look, right. I just do think one of the themes that has developed the last three years in college football is that two and a half programs have pulled away from everybody else. Right. That's just what the results are dictated, and it's up to everybody else to try to to try to you know cover the gap. Like you mentioned, it you know Clemson's paying Brent Venables two and a half million dollars. You know right. that's the staff pool at like a place like BC. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, it might be a little bit bigger than that. Actually, it's probably not. So like you, you when you talk about they're in the same league, but they're not in the same league because their investment. You look at the facilities at both those places. You look at the analyst and the the eighth recruiting guy while he does his dm sophomores you know like when you have invested that thoroughly and that completely you're going to end up getting results and so i feel like instead of complaining this is a challenge to everyone else in college football hey you need to catch up you need to pay like they're paying you need to be organized like they're organized and you need to have the coordinators and the assistant coaches and everything else you need to that is what you need to aspire to do because obviously when you have a great plan and a great coach and it's executed it's working and those two and look kirby smart copied alabama's recruiting department at georgia just like straight copied it yeah, and they're they're the half the pro, half a program that's uh, that's in the picture with those two, but how much of Dabo? What's Dabo's doing is is copied or at least based on what Nick has done at Alabama. You know, Clemson said, okay, we're going to be like Alabama. We're going to step up. We're going to do all the good big time stuff. And now look, here they are. I mean, they've got a great coach, incredible recruiter, but they've also done everything else around him necessary to, to be at that level. I agree with you. And that's good. I mean, we don't even need Wetzel here to say, hell no, we're not going back to the BCS. We yeah. both agree. 
yeah. on that. The um, big surprise is Wetzel didn't show up because he would have had a chance to sell like three more copies on Amazon of <laughs> Death to the BCS. He never misses a chance to shill for his book. Like all oh, our yeah. pod, all our podcast topics are like, there's all these great games. He's like, we're going to talk about Boise today. We're going to talk about how much they love Death to the BCS and Boise. Yeah. In case you need to know, yeah. the BCS is There's still There's going to be like a, a bandit book signing at Uproar Brewery where Dan's selling like <laughs> p- paperbacks of Death of the BCS. <laughs> <laughs> He'll like shotgun a beer with you if you pay the $19.99 to buy it. So, no, I, I mean, obviously, look, all of us agree that four is much better than two and the method methodology that was involved in picking two was terrible. So four is okay. Now, though, does, does this and does the hegemony of Bama and Clemson, does it hurt a movement to eight? I have an opinion on this, but I want to hear yours first. Does it hurt a movement to eight? No, it does not hurt a movement to eight. I think it helps a movement to eight. What I mean, the thing that helps a movement to eight is the Big Ten getting boxed out and the Pac-12 sort of in a nuclear winter, and the Big 12 always seemingly is on the cusp of, of getting left out, although it hasn't the last couple of years because Lincoln Riley is a freak genius. Um, so... I yeah I don't I don't feel like I don't feel like the hegemony hurts and I feel like the hegemony is great we've had great title games between these teams look like I feel like I was thinking about this and I didn't put it in my column that night but like Bama LSU game of the year we were all so excited we t- like you know yeah, like right. I, I just feel like this season there's been like a series of build up and letdowns now there's been some great games I, I think about Penn State Ohio State was a great game um, well even Ohio State Michigan was a dog right oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but like, was there a great Pac-12 game this year? Like, Oregon Stanford was okay, right? Yeah, I mean, it was crazy, you know. So there was some yeah. of that in there, but yeah. you know, but you're watching that thing. Are either of these teams really that good? Yeah, Texas Oklahoma. Both Texas were Oklahoma good. was really yeah. good. The first one was really good. The second one was just okay. ACC wise, yeah, that Florida State Clemson game was. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think Clemson's so far ahead of the rest of that league right now that right. Th- there really wasn't like much of an opportunity. Remember, I remember early in the year, we, we said like Clemson's hardest game could be at Boston college and then BC's quarterback gets hurt in the first possession. But like, again, if, if, you know, a seven and a road game against a seven and five team is going to be your most difficult game. That's like, yeah, no, it's, it's a problem. Yeah, I mean the ACC is just a sorted mess right now outside of Clemson. Um, it's so sure. it's almost like everything is aligned for this run to keep going. And you you wrote it in your column. They have all these like delightful like T Higgins is an amazing player, but they've had yeah. T Higgins. His name was Mike Williams, and then it was DeAndre <laughs> Hopkins. You know, I mean it's right. like the the same archetype and prototype of these guys keep rolling through there, and they're just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 built to last. That's the thing we are talking about. You know, Bama Clemson four. Uh, coming up here, but we're gonna have Bama Clemson five next year. I just I don't see any way around it unless people get hurt, because uh, it's gonna be the same guys making plays. It's uh, it's remarkable. But here's my thought: is there no the the this does not hurt a movement to eight because it doesn't matter whether it's a four team or an eight team. There's two teams ahead of everybody else. The games that would be interesting would not be one versus eight or two versus seven. Right. But three versus six and four versus five on college campuses would be a lot of fun. And then those teams would move on and then probably get trampled. But that's the way it goes. Although, hey, Georgia would have been in at an eight-team playoff. And we've seen Georgia-Alabama, and it's been pretty darn good. So I would not uh, rule out that as I I did do a slight – 
I, 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 was, I, I heard that the four smallest words in the English language are, I told you so, and I kind of did a, <laughs> a, a, a smallness lap on, uh, just because I remain convinced that George So unlike been, you, Pat, really, so unlike you to rub it in. <laughs> Rarely miss a chance to... I know, I know, but hey, Georgia would have given us at least one good semifinal. I believe that. I, so. I, I believe it. Uh, I believe it 100. There's, uh, there is, there is no doubt. I will give Oklahoma credit for like not completely rolling over, but like I said in my column, and I texted you guys, like we're we're not giving out orange slices for backdoor cover in the spread. You know, <laughs> like no. it was not a game, and they kind of made it fake close for a little while, but. I mean, they just ran out of possessions. I think Lincoln Riley would do a couple things different if he had a chance now, like going for the second field goal. The first one I kind of got. The second field goal was a little bit like, are you sure you're going to be able to have the ball enough to catch up to them? A and B, are you sure your defense is equipped to stop them? Because nothing is – I mean, two was 24-27. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Is you're, you're counting on stopping him? Good yeah. luck. You're not yeah, going to I, I did like the onside kick. Both of you and I called that on Twitter in advance. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought that was a good call. You know, um, you, you got to, right? With eight yeah, minutes oh. to go, you, you know, like it was uh, no choice, uh, you know, and that, yeah. it's, that's the thing. That, look, that game was so not close. It would, like I say, it was 28 to nothing, all right, before anybody had a chance to breathe. Before, after the first, I think after Alabama had the ball two times, it was 14 nothing, right? They scored both their first two possessions. Mm-hmm. And never yes. again after that was it a one possession game. Never. So yes. it was not close. Right? There was yes. never, ever, ever a chance that Oklahoma was actually going to win the game. That yes. didn't. There, there was never a chance. And that's I compare that where they trailed for fifty six minutes and fifty four seconds to Alabama to Georgia, which trailed Alabama for seventy seconds at the very end and led otherwise the whole way. So I don't want to hear a lot of revisionism about how Oklahoma you know, played well. Yeah. They, they are who I thought they were. Yeah. So I was curious to watch Kyler Murray. I had not seen him live this year and I did a big uh, scouting dive on him with our friend, Jeff Passan, who's our Yahoo colleague for about 24 hours. In fact, by the time you listen to this (laughs) podcast, he may not be our colleague anymore, but we'll still say nice things about him. He was very generous to call Scott Boris and hit some up his scouts to talk about Kyler's baseball future. And, um, you know, NFL people were trying to talk themselves into Kyler Murray as an NFL quarterback. Now, again, you and I have had a long debate over Lamar Jackson, team Lamar, not team Lamar. The games and schemes are changing. It's a fascinating time for NFL quarterbacking and offense, Mm -hmm. a league that's been like asleep at the wheel for two decades offensively is finally catching up and it's been fun and great. Um, So I would not use a first round pick on Kyler Murray as a quarterback. Would you, Pat? Probably not. Um, you know, his height is, you know, that, that's a thing. And yes, Baker Mayfield is doing it. And obviously Drew Brees did it. But history shows that there's been a lot more quarterbacks of that height who struggle than succeed. So I would start there. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, he's really good. He's really exciting. He's fun to watch. He, he's got a heck of an arm. Uh, you know, could he throw it into tight windows that you would need to in the NFL? Maybe, but I don't know. And if you run that much, I think you have a chance to get hurt. And as we'll say, Lamar Jackson, 6'2". What's Kyler Murray, 5'10"? Five, 5'9", five, I think. He is a Ooh. tiny human. Yeah, yeah, he's a tiny human. So this was interesting, and I did not write this in that column because we had a bunch of different voices and it was getting, it was getting long. But uh, I asked Mike Lombardi, the old NFL executive, I said, so why – 
don't short quarterbacks work in the NFL? Just like, you know, and he made a good point. He said, since the hashes are closer together, that everything else is more condensed. And so there's Mm -hmm. less windows to throw to. Because if you look at what Oklahoma does with everything spread out, the windows are big and wide. And that means Mm -hmm. there's more interior clutter, more interior linemen. And that is what makes shorter quarterbacks more at risk in the NFL. And I had never heard it explained or thought that way. And I thought that was quite interesting. So, yeah, no, that, I mean, it makes sense. You've got, you've got more big bodies. I mean, you know, there's, there, there are big bodies certainly in college football, but the six, seven, six, eight tackles are a thing in the NFL. And, uh, you know, you got to be able to see where you're throwing it. And there's a lot of stuff in the, in the middle of the field there. So, and his, so he, his, you know, defining play of the night was that little like jump step 50 yard wrist flick. That was a pretty play. Have you ever seen an NFL quarterback make that throw? No, no, because no. they would probably be annihilated the second. They <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there would be some, you know, linebacker just, you know, searing in on them to put a helmet in their chest. I don't know. But that, that was a fun play. Now when he took, I was like, Oh, Oh, and then it was obviously a dead strike to the receiver in stride. But th- there's a reason why we've not seen NFL quarterbacks do that. It's not because they yeah. can't. It's because the circumstances around them would not let them. Right, right. No. So, I mean, you know, it, hey, if he wants to give it a shot, cool. It would be fun to see just how it works out. I just don't know. Yeah, if I were expending a first-round pick, I'm not sure I'd be willing to go there with him, especially, too, because you just don't know what the commitment is between football and baseball. They'd have to convince you that – he would be committed to football, wouldn't they? I yeah. Mean. So the sense I got from being around him and talking to some folks and talking to some scouts and people who went through Oklahoma, like if you had asked me before that game, gun to your head, does he play football or baseball? I would say football. They're just like if you parse the language, there was like a lot of right nows and we'll sees and like the feeling is he loves football and he wants to play football and there's an immediate gratification. If you go somewhere and you're a first round pick and you're a star and there's a lot more available in endorsements and the whole thing. And what an electric athlete, you know, he's the kind of guy that, you know, wouldn't have a hard time getting some, getting enough sponsorships to make that $5 million promissory note from the A's go away basically. Cause he's under contract there. Um, so that was like, the overwhelming feel in football, and it was also the overwhelming feel in baseball. Everybody but Scott Boris, who, of course, is his agent, was like, he's playing baseball, he's playing baseball, he's playing baseball, right. he's not playing football, he's not playing football. But right. there's just been too much smoke elsewhere, too many people who've gone through Oklahoma and that, hey, make sure you, you know, you, you file this kid. So I, I would be stunned if he just went off to baseball and the next time we see him is opening day 2021, uh, you know, playing playing center field for uh, mm-hmm. for Billy Bean in the athletics. I don't even know who the A's manager is. Do you? No, no I idea. Mean, you know, yeah. I, they are still called the athletics and I, and Billy Beans, I think, still the GM. That's all. I yes, know. I got yes. that. Uh, but they have a, they I don't have actually think I can, issues. I know that, too. They do. Yeah, I've read that, too. I don't think I can name a single Oakland A. Can you? Hell no. <laughs> 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 The the only time Oakland A's have, have crossed my consciousness in the last I don't know how many months was when Marshawn Lynch showed up at like the city council hearing to to ah, put yes. in for the that was hilarious. Walks up to the microphone of the opening meeting. My name is Marshawn Lynch and uh we lost the Warriors. We're losing the Raiders. Let's not lose the A's. Thank you. <laughs> it was pretty great. Awesome. That was pretty great. Yeah. Um yeah, I uh, yeah. That said, it would be uh, it, it would be fun to watch. The point I thought was most interesting from the baseball scouts on Kyler was, does he want to go to Stockton and grind it out in single A? You know, 
right. fast food, bus trips, all that. It is a non-glorious life. I'm sure you've traipsed through a uh, minor league park or two in your day. Um, oh, yeah. It is not awesome. And right. uh, it is not the NFL. It is not, you know, in some crazy facility. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an exponentially worse experience than playing football at Oklahoma, you know. Oh, in, no doubt about it. Yeah. In every no, way. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it, you, you can get stuck on that hamster wheel. I, you know, I, I don't think he would. Just because his physical gifts, they'd be like, we got to give this guy a shot, move him up and give him a shot. But if you can't hit, yeah, you could get stuck down there. So, yeah, does he want to spend any of that minor league purgatory time when in the NFL he probably wouldn't have to? But we'll see. I don't know. Well, uh, we'll, we'll be watching, obviously, what his decisions are down the uh, down the road here but uh i want to get your reaction to the bowl season as a whole it's it's been garbage really there's been a lot of bad games i can count the number of like dramatic exciting games that were also well played on certainly one hand and probably you know two fingers three fingers is is this the worst bowl season ever pete well i don't actually know the statistics but considering i'm thumping you in bowl picks i've actually kind of enjoyed it now ah, i want to know are you thumping me <laughs> are you so. for sure <laughs> i'm beating I, you in the kerns bowl pool i do know that at one Kearns point you were in second bowl bonanza yeah yes. you are i think still beating me i don't know i'll have to double check this. you were in second to last place the last standings i looked at was i really oh <laughs> yes like that's usually people who like don't fill out the form correctly end up <laughs> where you were <laughs> yeah you know, like your yeah like your uncle who like fills out half of it and then forgets and then you know yeah. they just want the ten dollar entry fee so you were doing epically bad uh, uh sam cooper and nick bromberg were chatting your performance on text so i do want to like throw in the 40 factor of the fact that he's been lost so many of his picks he's enjoying bowl season less i think we i think we have to at least acknowledge that as a uh, as a moderate factor that said bowl season has been a little bit snoresville um when you look at like what's been decent we could say that um, Washington State, Iowa State, and the Alamo Bowl was decent. And the only decent games have been, like, bad bowls. Like, Baylor-Vanderbilt was kind of exciting, but, like, ugh. And then, obviously, the Cheez-It Bowl, which we'll be uh, making the 30 for 30 on later, um, was 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 pretty remarkable. And then, other than that, FIU-Toledo, I have to admit I didn't watch that. I mean, I should be thrown off the podcast for not watching like mid-afternoon weekday football. But, well, especially uh, since you're the Toledo SID, man. You're the guy <laughs> pumping Toledo more than anybody. You didn't not watch a, your guy Jason Candle losing to FIU? It was not a good season for the Rockets. Not a good season no. for the Rockets. Um, it, you know, Las Vegas Bowl wasn't terrible, but it wasn't terribly exciting. Right. I, I mean, honestly, honestly, the best game was Georgia Southern beating Eastern Michigan just because you're still mad about that result. Ah, <laughs> I am furious about yes. that. Furious. Yes, he sent a fruitcake to Chris Crichton, I'm sure. I am sending dead animals to Chris Crichton. It's just <laughs> terrible. But, no, I mean, look, the, the games have just not been good, man. I mean, they, they, no. we... I mean, no. I, Washington State, Iowa State, I like, but there was a bunch of officiating yeah. controversy with that, you know, and yeah. uh, they just they have not been good. And I think it kind of mirrors, as we talked about earlier, the whole season, wherein mm -hmm. there just haven't been that many competitive, compelling games. So from that standpoint, yeah. at least it's uh, it's thematically uh, consistent. But I, I do. Yes, we do have to, to share some love for the Cheez-It Bowl, which uh I'm just not sure I've ever seen a game like that. There were nine interceptions. Yeah. And 
my favorite part of all, I'm surely you've been to TCU. You've done some stories. You've dealt with Mark Cohen, the SID at TCU. Oh, yeah. No, he's very been nice forever. man. Very Stalwart. earnest. Oh, yep. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. And when he ends up falling down on the field over the chain gang and getting a penalty that could have affected the outcome of the game, that what put this game in yes. like a Hall of Fame category. Yes. No, that clearly, clearly. Mark Cohen, not exactly a, uh, I would I would not uh, prototype him as an athletic marvel. He probably would not get a combine <laughs> invite. So the fact that he could have impacted a intercollegiate football game is mind-blowing. Like, oh, absolutely yeah. mind-blowing. And uh <laughs> In, in lovely. I have to admit, I was late to the Cheez-It Bowl because uh, I was because I was working that night. So I was, saw the buzz online and like, I don't know, sometimes you're like, is this like collective college football group thing? And then it was like just a terrible game. And I, I tweeted it that night. Our bull picks were probably going to end up being terrible. But the one thing that we talked about on our bull preview podcast was mm -hmm. this was the least attractive game on paper. Of oh, the yeah. entire bowl season. We no. were very confident. We both agreed with that wholeheartedly. Like, my God, there's no reason to watch this game. <laughs> yeah, it was going to be a terrible offensive game to begin with. But then yes. it, it, for, it somehow uh, subsumed those low expectations. Yes. I mean, somehow. I don't, I don't know how. But, I mean, that's, you know, TCU starting this fifth-year QB who had only started two games in his entire career. Uh, and had hardly played, and you know, boy, did he look like a fifth-year QB who was had never played. And then they subbed him out and brought in a guy with drop foot. That was uh, <laughs> that was fairly remarkable, <laughs> as they tenderly put it on the broadcast. Doesn't have full use of one of his feet. It's like, oh, good. Let's bring, let's throw him in there. And then the the Cal quarterbacks were even worse because I think it was four interceptions by TCU and five by Cal. And Cal served up the one that ended the game. I mean, yeah. do you remember when Teddy Bridgewater beat Rutgers on one leg and they like carried him to the line of oh, scrimmage yeah. possession for possession? That's what I thought of when you mentioned <laughs> drop foot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you just couldn't believe it all. And then, yes, poor Mark Cohen, who is a very earnest yes. SID. You know, he's, he's like yes. one of those guys. He's not one of the jaded guys. I mean, he really like really wants TCU to succeed and he wants you to. Yeah to say that TCU's doing great and everything, and for him to be out there on the field. And going, knowing Gary Patterson, how he is, yeah. it, it's just a good thing for Mark that TCU won, because I yes. fear for his job security if they had lost. Yes, yes. And he will be immortalized uh, tail over tea kettle. So yeah. he just... <laughs> it was an epic moment. So that, yeah. that's... I, I wonder. I wonder, like, what a good investment that was for Cheese it. Uh, Kevin Cato, uh, Yahoo, did a great story about the... Uh, uh, the builders wanted Elk oh yeah makers, makers wanted makers wanted yes because I wanted mm -hmm. to be the makers mark we could all get behind a I makers know. mark bowl right but it was makers wanted Elk Village Illinois and what a boon it was they said in the first day they already got the publicity for whatever the six hundred grand they plunked down for that so I would think cheese it which is not a struggling brand I actually almost ate cheese it's on my JetBlue flight home from Fort Lauderdale <laughs> today just because I was like so but then I just I, I didn't I didn't I didn't do that I, I decided again I do like cheese it's I'm not anti cheese it but I now when know. I see cheese it's I'll think of that bowl game and kind of smile and then I'll think of Mark Cohen tumbling around on the field like a <laughs> like a five-year-old rolling down a hill at a picnic <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what he looked like oh what an image what an image I poor guy I hope he has enough sense of humor to have that picture 
of yeah. himself framed in his office. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it or not, that's in line one of his obituary oh. in the uh, Fort Worth Star Telegram. No <laughs> doubt about it. Which I hope is not written for years. Hopefully yes. the Fort Worth Star Telegram isn't around then. Uh, yeah. So long yeah. from now. But yes. <laughs> Such, uh, that was my favorite moment of, uh, of what has been a bad bowl season but yeah it really has just been like it's almost like it's got to even out right like you're waiting you're right? waiting and you know it's 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 gonna go this is the overreaction monday podcast so people will probably be listening to this nice afternoon football on a monday by the way because i think some people have to work on new year's eve so sure i mean i know a lot of people who listen to our podcast do it to kill the day at work so <laughs> the only thing better than listening to us i would think is actual live football so yeah um, right so you know they there's still more bowl games where this 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 wreck of a bowl season can resurrect itself so but yeah. i am hopeful that bama clemson is going to be great uh yes. i believe you are the same give me a quick uh overview thought on how you think what do you think about the matchup i think it's a great matchup i i would like my gut right now and i'm going to make some calls this week to coaches who played them both to really uh to really break them down but uh i had some quick preview snippets in my game column that night from some leftover interviews I'd done going into the bowl matchups and you know the thought is that Clemson is an SEC team like by all the way they spend the way they look the way they recruit in in every way possible so I don't think the moment's going to be too big for them and I don't think they're going to be completely physically intimidated so I think they can go mano to mano um and remember, Alabama's defense, obviously good by every conventional standard, great by every conventional standard, is not considered to be one of the best that Nick Saban has had. Uh, now, can I sit here and, like, poke holes? Like, one of the coaches I talked to said Isaiah Bugs, the defensive end, um, the, the Juco kid, was a weaker they, – they wanted to attack his side maybe more than, uh, more than the other side. And mm -hmm. I don't think either secondary is considered, like – you know, like Ohio State a couple of years ago when he had three first round picks or whatever. Obviously, guys are good, but right. I do think I do think it will be high scoring, and I think Clemson can cover. I, I still think Alabama is going to win. It just it's a very obvious thing to say. I I, I don't know, and, and maybe you seeing Clemson in that moment gives you a little more optimism, Pat. But I don't see this as a seventeen fourteen game. I see this like the other two title games. I think this is like wide open modern college football at its finest. Two gunslingers throwing to just an awesome complement of receivers, right? Just yeah. both sides, awesome receivers. Uh, you know, Alabama's got a very good tight end. I don't know if Clemson has a great tight end. I don't think they have a Jordan Leggett right now. No, um, no, no. The tight end's really not part of the the weaponry for them this year. Yeah, it's no. You know, they've got that too many sense. other guys. You know, very good backs on either side. There's no Leonard Fournette, but like I, I mean, mm. those are very. Etienne may get there. Josh um, Jacobs made some plays, man. Ooh. Holy moly! Well, he absolutely obliterated Barnes, the safety for Oklahoma, going to the goal line. You're like, oh, yeah. I mean, this is a gash play. He'll get stopped at the five, and he, I mean, he just ran him over, like just yeah. obliterated him. And that was when I started writing my column. I was like, well, <laughs> it's twenty-one yeah. nothing. We, we've seen enough. Like, mm -hmm. good night. Good night, Boomer. Um, who do you like, Pat, in the championship game? Early, we'll break this down in more detail in our live show, obviously, at Uproar Brewing Company in San Jose. But yes. uh, what do you think, first blush? Um, I, I I would favor Alabama. I think it is going to be close. I think it's going to be competitive. I'd say Bama scores in the low 30s and Clemson scores in the high 20s, something like that. You know, maybe it's 35-28 or 35-31 or 31-28. Uh, I I agree with basically almost everything you said. The one thing 
I want to see if Clemson's monster defensive line can get pressure on Tua and then how Tua reacts. I mean, I, I think yeah. Tua will react fine. I think he's, he's perfectly mobile and capable, uh, but I think they can put him under a little bit of duress and, uh, and see, we'll see what happens there. But as I said, they did a really good job covering Notre Dame's receivers, but Notre Dame's receivers are not Alabama's receivers. They're faster. They make better cat. They catch the ball. You know, they make hard catches. Um, so I think that that I think both teams have some secondary issues that can be exploited. And you're absolutely right. I mean, look, Clemson has a veteran core. Now they've got all these young guys, but they've got a veteran core that they have been there. They have done that. You know, Hunter Renfro and Christian Wilkins. And God, Clayland Farrell uh, have played, you know, in all the big games over the last three, four years. And so they're going to go in there, I think, uh, very confident that they can play with Alabama. And the one big difference between last year and this year, last year when Alabama dominated them, Kelly Bryant was the quarterback. Now Trevor Lawrence is the quarterback, and he can make the kind of plays that Kelly Bryant couldn't. So I think we are – I'm optimistic that we are heading towards a good conclusion to – what has at times been a bit of a drab season. Yeah, let me make two more points before I get out of this. One, I could talk myself into Clemson by Friday, by the way. just yeah. I'm, I'm open to talking myself into Clemson. Uh, yeah. Christian Miller, you know, one of Alabama's most dynamic linebackers, left the field, uh, not putting weight on his left leg. Nick Saban was pessimistic about his immediate future. Uh, there's an MRI that's going to happen today. So that would be a significant injury for Alabama. They certainly, you know, they obviously have a machine there and a five-star replacement and all that stuff. But I would just think that's a valuable starter, dynamic playmaker who may not be in the mix. And number two is Alabama special teams stink. And this game could come down to a clutch kick or a needed punt to pin. And neither of those do I have particular faith in, in, in Alabama. Like, that's the kind of thing that is that doesn't show up when you're beating Mississippi State 42 to nothing, but right. could show up, uh, you know, when, when it's pucker time. Sure. No, that's good points. Very good points for sure. Um, the one other, yeah, my additional footnote there, I, I don't expect Dexter Lawrence to be back for this game. Um, yeah. You know, he would, they've got a, a, a few days to work with in terms of trying to appeal, but he'd have to pass drug tests, uh, you know, register clean tests and then go before a, an appeal committee probably, and I, I, I don't see that happening in time for, uh, for next Monday. So I think that that absence will continue. Now, Albert Huggins played very well in his place, but again, this is a little bit different level of challenge. So we'll see. We will talk a bunch more about that, obviously, at the live podcast and through all week about Clemson-Bama. So you will get your fill of that. Uh, Pete, the, uh, the one other area of college football significant news beyond the actual games – uh, some pretty shocking coaching changes at Houston and Miami. Uh, let's talk about Houston first because you were just so glowing in your appraisal of that <laughs> university and how they handled Major Applewhite. Really a first-class operation at Houston, as anyone who saw my column could uh, could think. I got a lot of glowing reviews from Houston fans about that column, as you can imagine. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The internet, the anonymous internet is always so kind when you're critical of their school. But, oh, yeah. no, you know, this is something, Pat, that it's been building maybe for like 10 days. And instead of just firing Major Applewhite, Houston just said, you know what, we're going to let you like wave in the wind. Because he obviously was going to have to replace Kendall Bryles, who left, and obviously they fired uh, defensive coordinator Mark D'Onofrio. So Major Applewhite trying to be head coach, going to hire guys, like there was just sort of like stall, stall, and he couldn't actually go do it. So basically, Houston's going to hire Dana Holgerson. Now, people could listen to this podcast on Tuesday, and that 
has not happened at that point, but every single searing sign that you could possibly have is uh, is 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 Dan Holgerson becoming the next coach at uh, at Houston. He's sick of West Virginia. West Virginia, quite frankly, is sick of him. And so there's going to be no tears shed from either side when they separate. It will be interesting. I think the highest AAC salary right now is Mike Norvell at around 2-5. I'm not sure if Josh Heupel has gotten up there or not, but I don't think so quite yet. So Dana made 3-8 last year at West Virginia. So is Tillman Fertitta, who's kind of the, like, you know, who basically uses Houston Athletics as his fantasy team. Um, who's yeah, the he's the, the loudmouth booster who's putting his yes. name on everything. Yes. And yeah, just a completely unself-aware guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just like total. And then the the whole university's handcuffed by him. They have a new AD there who doesn't have any gravitas or power. They have a president who basically has gotten hundreds of millions of dollars from Fertitta. So she's sort of also handcuffed by him. And He's the guy, the, the joke of the last staff was that he fired Tony Levine after they opened with, and now he didn't actually fire him till later, but they opened with a loss to UTSA that year. And yeah. the old staff used to joke that Fertitta bet so much money on the game that <laughs> like he was fired that day because he had lost that. Now that was obviously a joke. <laughs> I want to be very clear about that. But that was like, that was kind of how they viewed this guy. Oh, here's this guy who shoots mm-hmm. from the hip and he's a wild card. But yet he essentially controls the entire university. So I will say this in the aftermath of my column, uh, I heard from multiple Big 12 ADs, associate ADs, et cetera, and then multiple administrators within the Big 12, and it was a, like, clap, 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 thank you. Like, you summed up that clown show at Houston particularly well. And AAC folks who I heard from uh, at most levels were uh, were like, yep, that's Houston. They're kind of like just the, you know, the – the, the stepchild in the corner that uh, mm-hmm. that is doing that is doing their own thing. So well, yeah. I, I mean, obviously, yes. They they are t- continuing to try to aspire for Big Twelve membership, uh, and I think that they're you know desperate to prove themselves along those levels. And I, I don't think this is this is going to help them in any form or fashion. Here's what I'm interested in, though: how many coaches voluntarily? leave a power five job for a non-power five job, which is what Holgerson would be doing. That would be a pretty remarkable move. Yes. Well, they played flirtsies with him two years ago, and that helped him get a, a new deal at West Virginia, if memory serves me right. And so, um, yeah, it would be it would be a fairly remarkable move. Now, you could argue that like jobs like Houston and Central Florida are better than jobs like Wake Forest and Oregon State, right? Because you're in these recruiting hotbeds, it's engineered to win. You know, kids want to play in those cities, in those areas. You get your your Ed Oliver's and uh, Derek uh, King. Obviously, is a Heisman candidate next year. You know, yeah. he's the Mackenzie Milton of next season. I think he's fantastic. I don't yeah. know how much you saw him this year, Pat. But yeah, but but Holgerson isn't at Oregon State or at Wake Forest. He's at West Virginia. I mean, that's not a bad program. It's not a bad program. I think within the infrastructure of that league, is it a have or a have not? I would say it's a it's right on the cusp, right? It's the haves are haves now in that league, obviously, when you got Oklahoma, Texas, but it's not a better job than Oklahoma State. It's probably a better job than Kansas in Kansas State. It's probably a push with Texas Tech. Um Texas Tech is still in Texas. Um yeah, but boy, they've had better results than Texas Tech. No, no, they have. Yeah. And, you know, going all the way back to the, yeah. uh, you know, to the to the 80s and such, they've they've had that there. I just think that's a hard job because you're so far away. Your closest road game is Iowa State. 
Right. No, it's it, that has to be a miserable job for non-revenue sports. Like to play. Oh yeah. I yeah. Mean, it just no. does. I mean, look. It, yes, it's it's not a plum job per se, but yeah. You know, you as we say, membership in the in the Power Five has its privileges, and those yes. that are outside of it are always wanting in. Uh, and maybe Houston thinks that bringing in Holgo would give them a chance to get in. I don't know. I just, I, if I were Dana, I'd be looking. And, and I, I would say, boy, you really must be sick of West Virginia, huh? If you're going to yes. make that move, so. I think that's a factor. I think that living in Houston is attractive to him. Yeah. Um, you know, let's just say he made three million a year for eight years at West Virginia on average. It's probably a little less than that. So that's twenty four million. So he's probably made twenty million. So money you can kind of throw out the window, right? Like right. at this at this point, Dana's probably in his late forties, right? Like it's also too like you know if you know Will Greer leaving and things are gonna fall off a cliff, you go get a six year deal and you can, you know, you can coach into your fifties now. Like there is some sure. like and I don't think he was in any significant trouble per se. Mm-hmm. But he also was not beloved there either. I yeah. think the reality fell the reality fell somewhere in the middle. And uh, they weren't like rushing to give him a contract extension, like you know mm-hmm. people at people at other places. So I, I think some of him looking at the wall and maybe just saying, hey, I had a good run here. I became a head coach. He obviously, I think he was sixty one and forty off the top of my head. I saw that record uh, today. It's a that's a fine it's a fine run at West Virginia. He gave him some buzz and uh, yeah. And then you can go to Houston. You become transfer haven. You you he can recruit quarterbacks there. He was the OC there. I think in 09 and 010. So he's got some familiarity. He understands the place. Uh, Houston has built some decent infrastructure. There's a new stadium. They called the house that someone built. Uh, Herman right. got him the an indoor. Like they're okay, but it's not any great mm-hmm. shakes. But uh, you know, it's a yeah. it's a it's a it's a plus plus group of five job. But yeah, it's a it's a curious yeah. move, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see. But I will say this: it's rigged to win immediately because right. of Derek King. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's the thing. You walk in and you, you've, you're, you've got a plug and play really good quarterback and you are losing Will Greer at the other spot. Um, you know, it, it's it really to me, it's more of a it's like a basketball move, like when Frank Hayes skedaddled out of Missouri to go to uh, Tulsa and, you know, yeah. some of the moves like Tubby Smith getting out, you know, and just it, it's it's like, yeah, I, I, I just want to go get another good contract and, and go live my life kind of thing. But uh, it's it's rare, much more rare, I think, in football. So. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep our eye on the Houston situation there and uh, see what transpires with Holgo. Uh, but the, the really, the bigger brand certainly is uh, Miami. And the news there is similarly shocking. Mark Richt, who you know, was hailed for coming back to the U where he played uh, and going to be the latest guy to try to uh, enliven that program and bring it back to the glory days. He resigns uh there had been a lot of talk and a lot of buzz about, you know, what exactly was going on down there that's really started blowing up, I guess, Saturday. Pete, you were involved in a lot of this. Take us through what happened and uh, and help me figure out whether Miami's still a good job. Well, it's a, it's a good question. So I started to hear heavy, heavy rumbles of this on Saturday night. Uh, one of the reasons I did not watch the, uh, the much of the Notre Dame game. Um, I did, by the way, note the disgust in your face when I said I didn't watch a snap of the playoff game. I was, it was very, it was very it's like, playoff. <laughs> it's our job. Watch the game. I was busy producing content and brands people love. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> playoff. Playoff. <laughs> um, 
fans, people love the, you. You get the corporate uh, uh, gold star of the week. Good job. <laughs> yes, there. I do, builder, fellow builder. Congratulations. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, I was uh, scurrying around and making calls, and uh, essentially was told that night that Rick had kind of gone dark on his coaches. So he has a staff who doesn't quite know what he's going to do. Um, Rick knew he had to make changes on offense and his son, John is the quarterback coach. Um, and Rick was calling plays. So this would involve a heavy overhaul. One of the reasons Rick took the Miami job I've been told is that it gave his son a place to continue his career and build it on out. So, Again, we've learned this year, one of the big lessons of 2018 in college football is that nepotism on your staff is not a good thing. Um, it's not. So it'll be interesting to see where John Richt ends up. I wrote today in my column projecting Miami candidates, it's probably about the same level where Nick Petrino is going to end up, the <laughs> quarterback <laughs> coaches at uh, ACC schools that imploded this year. So yeah. Yeah. Um, Richt was I – don't, I don't know if he was told, you have to fire your son, but you had to make changes – and right. his son was going to be in a less significant role as quarterback coach. And then Rick, who's kind of like old school and comfortable, was probably going to have to bring in someone else on offense. And I think that gave him pause. I don't know how motivated Mark Rick was there to begin with. He obviously won whatever it was, 15 straight games, and they had a great run, and they'd recruited okay until this year when they created, recruited horribly. Um but I just here's my my take on Rick, and I wrote this in my ten candidates for Miami column. He had an Amazon job at Georgia and produced Walmart results. They were good, yeah, but they weren't top 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 tier. And so if he underachieved by those lofty standards at a place that now is over, you know, is achieving what it should under Kirby Smart. Mm -hmm. What made people think going to a program that's underachieved for two decades now, essentially, right? Um, or nearly two decades, I should say. He was the guy who was going to unlock the key and have it overachieve because he was a backup right. quarterback there. Like, it's a good story, but I don't think he's that elite kind of program builder. I don't think he's that dogged on the recruiting trail. And so losing Manny Diaz, I think the program lost its heartbeat when he went and took the Temple job. It'd be interesting to see if they make a run to get him back. It would cost $4 million. Miami's not a place that's ever had money. That's been They've always had horrible facilities to the point where right. like, it was a point of pride. Yeah, location, um, location, location is what Miami yes, had. Yes, that yellow orb in the sky tends mm -hmm. to uh, allure, allure people. But, um, no, I, I feel like, so if they want crystal ball, it's going to be $10 million bucks. It goes down to 8 January 31st. So Mario, quite frankly, would have to pay some of that himself if when it, mm -hmm. when it all comes down to it. Now, Mario's from Miami, went to Miami. He's a prolific recruiter of South Florida. Um, the jury's still out if he's a great head coach, by the way. Very much so. Yes. I mean, um, Manny would be $4 million bucks for a guy who's never been a head coach. Yes. Um, the number two there, I'm going through the list in my head that I wrote today. The number two guy last time was Greg Schiano. Right. He obviously just authored the worst defensive season in Ohio State history, but has a good reputation as a head coach, program builder. When he was at Rutgers, they pilfered the Miami area for a lot of their key players. He was the right. D.C. there in late 90s, 2000s. There is still the lingering bad publicity from the Tennessee kind of fake news thing that derailed his candidacy there. That would certainly give some stiff suits pause. I, I think that's been overblown, but um, having... What about him Butch? He's sixty-seven. I know. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not 
touting his candidacy, but I know some yeah. people like the idea. He wasn't even great when he was there. He was good. Ooh, he was pretty he was darn good. good. I mean, I'm giving him credit for Larry Coker's title. You know? Okay. Yeah. I mean, Larry Coker, that, that, the, 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 the talent that he assembled is maybe the greatest talent in the history of college football. Uh, and Larry Coker just kind of avoided screwing it up until he did screw it up in the 2002 championship game uh, against Ohio State. But, I, you know, I, I would say that, that Butch putting together that team, I think, is, is probably what a lot of the allure is to, to having him come back uh, possibly there. And I, I agree, look, 67 or 60, whatever the heck he is, he's, uh, I, I, I would be very scared to, to hire somebody at that age. Uh, in college football. But well, think about I, this. He obviously has had significant NCAA issues at his programs. Now, oh, yes, I think he he's been given one of those Calipari letters where he had nothing directly to do with it. Like, he didn't yeah. have anything to do with the fire, but it burned all around him, searingly so. And they're still paying sure. for it, quite frankly. So, um, Miami has had significant <laughs> NCAA issues in the past yes. decade. Yes. I would think that crosses him off the list more than anything. Um, you know, they're still dealing with the fallout with uh, Hernandez being suspended from the basketball team. They had a nightmare season. Now, again, they were implicated early. Uh, Southern District of New York withdrew some of those allegations on Miami basketball. But look, there's a legal cloud from Nevin Shapiro hanging over Coral Gables. I just don't think you can bring in a guy who, you know, was ran a program that was, you know, totally sideways with the NCAA. Yeah. No, I. That's good. Good reasoning. There we go. Butch Davis, cross him off the list. They'll introduce him on Thursday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just give your Mac Brown track record here. Just, uh, yes, exactly. So, no, I, exactly. just that that's going to be an interesting one to me. Is that still a good job, Pete? It is. I mean, you just because the talent is there and people are dying for the you to be good again. But right. as you go through the list of failed coaches, Larry Coker, Randy Shannon, Al Golden, Mark Richt, it has yep. been it has been nearly two decades of duds. Yeah, and that's thing. And they've like they've tried everything. They tried the you know the loyal assistant with Coker. They tried the recruiting dynamo with Shanahan, Shannon. They tried the up and comer from outside with Al Golden. They tried uh, you know the Golden Boy from the SEC who had been a former quarterback there and Richt. And no, none of it's worked. So I yeah I think it can work, but they haven't gotten the right guy. It's pretty amazing that they've whiffed on basically four straight hires there. Who would you hire? Man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Because I, so I, like, I'm with you. I'm not sure I would pay a fortune to Mario Cristobal and not be sure whether he's a great head co great coach. He's yeah. a great recruiter, but I'm not sure he's a great coach. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm glad it's not my decision. Yeah. No, there's no easy answer there. Like, yeah. Um, two fun names were on my list. Dino yep. Babers, Ooh. who you'd probably also have to pay a fortune to because he just redid his deal. And yep. we would think your former boss, John Wildhack, would not be naive enough to not keep that buyout stout. Uh -huh. Um, and the other one who has a very manageable buyout, I think it's 2-2, two -two, is Mike Leach. Oh, wow. All oh. he does is win. I know. And man, you know what? He would fit in fine. They, they they don't mind the iconoclast sort of image down there. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, yeah. Because for a while they wanted to play pro style. They had that like USC thing going, but like right. I don't know. 
I look at that division full of lemmings, and I look at the Carolina hire, which I was unimpressed with, as you could probably tell. I think Georgia Tech <laughs> made a, a good hire. I think yeah. there'll be some SECization of that because Jeff Collins is going to – Jeff Collins right. basically helped install Nick Saban's recruiting infrastructure at Alabama. And yeah. He's been at Florida, and he's been at Mississippi State. Georgia Tech's going to make noise. I, I'm yep. confident in that. And so – if you're Miami, it, look, Florida State's sitting in a spin cycle right now. Obviously, they're on the other division there, but like they're obviously your, your crossover and your rival and all that stuff. So, you you have to you have to do something, as yeah. Willie no, Taggart would I, say. I agree. That's why I, I think it's a good job because it's a winnable division. Yeah, all that talent is there. So that's why I think the right guy. Geez, they should win that division a bunch. You know, three out of every five years, five out of every seven. I don't know, something like that, and be more often than not in the in the ACC championship game. So, yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we'll see, uh, you know, how the, the searches go down at Miami and at Houston. And uh, we will keep cranking up all week for Clemson, Alabama. The, uh, the highlight climax of the football season, which will be highlighted by our appearance again at the Uproar Brewery, San Jose, January 4th, Friday night, 8 o'clock, Wetzel, 40, Thamel, hot takes, cold beer. Should be uh, delightful. We would love to have you join us. You can reserve your spot at yahoosports.com backslash college podcast. That's yahoosports.com backslash college podcast. Uh, enjoy the rest of the bowls. Going to be some good ones New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. And uh, we'll talk to you guys later. Thanks for joining us. Drink till we're funny. <laughs> <laughs>